You're listening to the Hometown Crowd Podcast, part of the 910 Comedy Podcast Network. On this week's episode, Football is Back. We talk about the Hall of Fame game, the new pass interference replay rule, and break down previews of the AFC and NFC East. In baseball, we'll discuss the trade deadline and big deals that were made. Locally, the Woodpeckers have a big week, the Swamp Dogs prep for postseason play, and the Fayetteville Roller Derby gets ready to host a unique bout. Get on your feet, you're cheering with the hometown crowd. Welcome to the first episode of Hometown Crowd Podcast, your source for sports news around the country and in our backyard. I'm Tim Dipple. I'm Mike McGinnis. Mac, how you doing today? I'm kicking. Can't complain. Just excited football's back in the air, finally. We'll definitely get to that. Just so people are aware of what we're trying to do here, we're going to talk a lot about Sports nationally, but what we really want to draw attention to is all the sports going on in our backyards here in Fayetteville. So we're going to be talking a lot about the Woodpeckers, the Swamp Dogs, uh, the Fayetteville Marksman hockey team, Fayetteville Roller Derby. Really just a lot of talk about sports here in Fayetteville. Uh, I myself am a native of Cleveland. Um, I grew up on the Indians. I can still to this day recite the 95 starting lineup. Uh, by memory. And, you know, I grew up watching the Browns play. I was sad when they moved to Baltimore. Uh, Red Wings for hockey, Cavs for basketball, and of course the Ohio State Buckeyes. Um, I've, I've been following sports all my life, and this really just kind of felt like something I really wanted to talk about. Um, what about you, Mac? Uh, I'm all Ohio as well. You know, Indians, uh, Cavs, Buckeyes, uh, Patriots for pro football. Oh. Have watched a lot of rugby, a lot of boxing, a lot of MMA, and you can cringe about the Patriots. But uh, I remember Scott Zolak and Tony Eason taking snaps, so I, I dealt with a lot of heartache before they've been on their twenty year tear. Well, we're definitely gonna have to rip on each other for that one come football season. In fact, I think we play this year. Yes, uh, the Browns have both Super Bowl teams this year: the Rams and the Patriots. So that'll be a fun one. Um, obviously the big topic right now, football is back. Thank God. We did have the Hall of Fame game last night. Uh, Denver and... The Falcons. Yes. Played, and, some, played their JV players, and uh, it looked like a JV game. It, it, it really did. There were a lot of sloppy plays, but the Broncos did pull it out 14-10. On a tip drill touchdown. I mean, I think that's what killed me most was... Uh, you know, I worked last night. There's TVs all over the place. And I knew none of the starters would be... I was surprised they were even on the sideline, honestly. Um, and when I saw the... Fal- Mostly not in uniform. Yeah. But they were there. Yeah, Matt, Matt Ryan was there with a headset on. Uh, but when I saw the kid from Virginia who transferred from ECU to Virginia, like under center for the Falcons, I was like, oh, God. And then, uh, you know, third midway through the third quarter, Matt Schaub makes his, you know, appearance back in a Falcons uniform. And I'm pretty sure he's 406 years old in quarterback years, and he just looked like hot garbage. So uh, I feel bad for the Falcons if Matt Ryan goes down. (laughs) Everybody feels bad for the Falcons. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, the big topic of the game was that after the results of the Rams-Saints last year, pass interference is now reviewable. Um, 
What are your thoughts on that? We did see it come into play once or twice last night. Yeah, Vic Fangio, uh, you know, he was the first guy to decide he was going to challenge a pass interference penalty. I don't like it. Um, it you know, people are complaining about pace of game now. Um, this is only going to slow it down. It really is. Uh, I mean, I was never a big fan of, of the whole replay challenge system anyway. I mean, you have human refs. Mistakes are going to happen. Now, if you want to cut that out, the NFL should employ them full-time, and that should be their only job they have. But instead, they're independent contractors who work as whatever it is they do in the offseason. So, I mean, it's if you really want to, to fix officiating issues, have full-time referees. Do, do you really think it's going to slow down a lot? Yeah. I mean, anytime you have a, I mean, football is a slow game. You know, it's an hour long, technically, okay, where there's only 15 minutes of movement on average, which means there's essentially two and a half hours of standing around in commercials. Um, we still love the game. Don't get me wrong. I'm a football junkie, but I would like to see them cut down on the play clock. Um, you already have a lot of uh, head coaches are talking to their quarterbacks and even their linebackers now to, to get plays in. So, I mean, do you really need 35 seconds on a play clock? Um, and, I mean, let's face it, baseball's taken on the chin with pace of play. And their commissioner, uh, you know, implemented rules in spring training and certain minor leagues to see how we can how we could speed the game up. Because, I mean, let's face it, uh, younger people aren't going to baseball games. It's old white dudes that are watching baseball. Um, Guilty. Yeah, you know, football is still is still there, but they're losing ground of soccer in the NBA, you know? So because the pace of play is quick, you know, it goes, it goes, it goes. And then, uh, I'm honestly, football should take a page out of rugby. The clock doesn't stop ever. It just goes, uh, you hit halftime, you take your halftime and then you, you know, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Uh, when you, when you get out of the tunnels for the second half. So, well, one of the things that we want to do is we're going to do a breakdown of each of the divisions in preparation for the football season. Uh, we're going to knock out two per week. Uh, this week, we're going to cover the AFC East and the NFC East. Uh, Mac, do all roads still go through New England? Absolutely. I mean, you, no other team really improved enough to to beat New England. Um, you know, Bill Belichick has showed that he, he doesn't have a system. You know, Brady's first three years, what did the Patriots do? They ran the ball, they ran the ball, they ran the ball. Uh, you know, they, they breathed new life into Corey Dillon's career. Uh, they bring in Randy Moss, uh, you know, Wes Walker. That's when you kind of saw the five wide all the time shotgun. Uh, after Moss left, they went to a lot of two tight end sets, you know, with uh, Hernandez and Gronkowski. You know, Edelman got involved. A lot of every, almost everything ran out of the, uh, you know, the slot position. You know, everything was based around that. And then once they drafted Sony Michelle, look at what they did last year. They were like third or fourth in the league in rushing. So Belichick doesn't have a system offensively or defensively. He looks at what he has and adjusts uh, in order to be successful. And I think to go against Belichick, it, it, you do it at your own peril. You know, you br- you brought up Gronkowski. Uh, how much does his retirement hurt the Patriots? Well, I mean, you, they don't have a tight end. Uh, you know, Matt Lacoste right now is looking to be the starter. Um, I think he's caught like four passes in his career. Uh, they signed Ben Watson, who the minute he stepped on a, a Patriots uh, practice field was hit with a four-game suspension for performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, you know, it just tight end is one of those positions where you can't skimp on it anymore. Like it's a huge part of the NFL now, not the way it was when like Mark Bavaro played for the Giants, where 
60 catches of 500 yards and five touchdowns was considered like beyond success. And Ozzie Newsome and, and Kellen Winslow senior were your outliers. You know, those were, those were the, the exceptions, not the rule. Now, you know, Gronkowski, um, you look at Ebron in, in uh, Indy, what he did after he got out of Detroit, um, Jimmy Graham before injuries and changing teams every two years caught up to him. Um, you know, uh, Antonio Gates, like these guys, you know, pull down 800 to 1,000 yards a season to score 12 touchdowns. Like they're, they're game breakers. And on top of that, they keep the wide receiver one and wide receiver twos from getting double covered because you really want a guy that's that athletically gifted being single covered by a linebacker running down the scene? No, nobody wants that. So, I mean, it's going to be an important, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be something they have to find a way to fill, you know, that, that lost yardage and those, that lost production. Moving down to Miami, uh, the Dolphins picked up Fitzpatrick in the offseason. What does that do? Nothing. Uh, nothing. I think he's got a great beard. Um, you You're not a that. fan of the QB competition going yeah, I mean, the, what competition? I mean, when you get down to it, Drew Rosen has suffered from being drafted by, uh, you know, an Arizona Cardinals team that had a lame duck GM and a lame duck head coach. Yeah, I mean... When the Dolphins swing the trade, or when they when they fired Adam Gase, uh, you know they brought in Brian Flores. We had all that that head coaching turnover, and then out of nowhere, Arizona hires Cliff Kingsbury, who had just taken the job at USC as the offensive coordinator, and uh, you know he somehow gets out of his contract. I think he had to pay a, a you know some sort of penalty, but he gets the Arizona job, and then he takes that job. He's you know he's talking about how Kyler Murray is this special player. He's you know going to be a great QB. Uh, he sounds the way that John Gruden sounds when Gruden's talking about Nate Peterman for whatever reason, and um, you know so you knew Rosen wasn't long for Arizona, and you know uh, you know Miami has a Brian Flores come down from New England to become the new head coach. Uh, they knew this was going to be a rebuilding year. They gave up you know nothing to bring in Rosen, and Rosen cannot beat Ryan Fitzpatrick in a QB competition. Um, you know, and, and you had Fitz magic last year in Tampa, but he had what three good games and then just fell off the map after those three games. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's, you should never, your franchise is in trouble if you're ever starting summer practices, heading into preseason and Ryan Fitzpatrick right now is your projected starter. Speaking of teams with trouble, uh, the bills picked up Ed Oliver defensive tackle out of Houston at number nine overall this off season. They have a lot of pieces they're missing. Yeah. But I mean, the defense isn't one of those things. Buffalo's defense is it's stout and adding Oliver is going to be great. Uh, I want, I'm, I'm interested to see how Oliver kind of makes a transition to dealing with NFL offensive linemen. Cause he's not a big defensive tackle uh, compared to a lot of his peers. He's a lot smaller. Um, I mean, I can see Buffalo kind of maybe moving him to the edges, you know, to the defensive end uh, for certain packages. But, I mean, Buffalo still offensively just, I have no idea what they're doing. I mean, Cole Beasley, John Brown at wide out. I think they signed every second string running back in the NFL. You know, Frank Gore, TJ Yeldon, uh, you know, to pair with, you know, LaShawn McCoy, who doesn't know how to run anymore. You know, I mean, it's for, for a team that went all in on Josh Allen and, I'm surprised Josh Allen, Josh Allen survived last season, considering that he had nobody to throw to, and he was essentially the. I'm pretty sure he was the leading rusher for the Bills last year. Um, but I mean, he, he's got the card stacked against him. He was never an accurate quarterback to begin with, coming out of Wyoming. You know, he's got an, an arm, 
you know, that's all well and good, but you've got to be able to, to be hit 60%. That's, that's the low benchmark now. Um, and, you know, it's not like when Terry Bradshaw was quarterback. I think his career completion percentage was like 56%. Joe Namus was like 54, you know, it, but they could do that because they had running backs behind him that were going to, you know, two or three running backs that were going to get you 200, 210 yards on the ground back in the 70s and early 80s. Now everybody's going for the big plays. Yeah. you got to be able to make those passes. Exactly. And Josh Allen has, hasn't done it yet. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hoping it'd be great if a dude from Wyoming, they graduate, you know, was picked out of Wyoming, makes it. But, I mean, I look at him and I just see a tight end. <laughs> he's got the ability to run and, and blow through people when he showed that. But I just don't know if he's going to be able to make NFL throws. The biggest news in the AFC East, uh, Le'Veon Bell leaves Pittsburgh, joins the Jets. Uh, what impact is that going to have, if any? Well, it's going to be great for a second-year quarterback in Sam Darnold. And I like Darnold. Uh, Darnold might be that USC quarterback that is actually worth it. Um, They've had a lot of struggles. Oh, man. Turning pro. Yeah, after after Carson Palmer... They just produced straight NFL junk. You know, Sanchez, uh, Matt Castle had one good year in New England. Um, Matt, uh, Matt Barkley. Then um, there's, I think, one of the backups. Oh, man, I can't remember where he's at right now. Anyway, but, you know, they, they, they put out just straight NFL junk as far as quarterbacks go. But Darnold looked pretty good after he got comfortable those first few games. Le'Veon Bell's going to take a lot of pressure off him. Um, but again, Darnold's going to deal with what Allen's dealing with in Buffalo. Who is he throwing to? Robbie Anderson? In... Oh, okay. You know, he looks good. Again, he's got Ryan Fitzpatrick thrown to him. Um, but when you get down to it, Robbie Anderson on, you know, Pittsburgh, New England, New Orleans, teams with an actual talent base, is a practice swap player, uh, maybe wide receiver four or five at best. You know, he's not a wide receiver one. So what are your projections for the AFC East? Well, I mean, it, it's it's all Patriots all the time for the East, you know, and, and whether no you— No hometown bias. Yeah, I mean, when you get down to it, the rest of the AFC East didn't do a good enough job improving to catch up to New England. Um, I really see New England pulling in 13, 13 wins. Uh, I think KC, Philly, and they drop a Bills game because the Bills always manage to play one tough game against New England, and the other game they blow them out. Um, I think the Jets go seven and nine. Darnold is—he's a good quarterback. A good quarterback play will get you someplace. I mean, and then you have—I uh, mean—they kind of overpaid for Mosley, the linebacker they brought in from Baltimore, but he's—he's he's another talented guy. Uh, Bills go six and ten only because I just don't—that offense—I just don't see it. I just don't see them being able to to really put a, a, a string of you know seven and nine wins together. And then the Dolphins, 3-13, and 13, because uh, multiple uh, publications, Sporting News, Sports Illustrated, said they might be the least talented NFL team in the league right now. <laughs> it's usually reserved for our Browns. Yeah, not this year, though. Not this year. Not even last year. Not even last year, I, I don't think. Uh, but we'll get to talking about them next week. <laughs> uh, over on the NFC side of the East, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the quarterbacks in this division. Yes. You've got Wentz coming off an injury. Eli, he lost his biggest target to the Browns. Um, Giants took Daniel Jones to back him up. Uh, uh, Dak Prescott and, and the trio stars up in Dallas and Washington. Case Keenum's got the uh, 
the ball right now, but how long will it be before Haskins takes over? I, I'm going to go ahead and just say I really think Daniel Jones and Haskins will be starting sooner rather than later. Who starts first? Uh, honestly, Jones. You I, think Eli's done? I, I can see Gruden giving Keenum four games, you know, and then Haskins comes in. And then you'll have your typical rookie struggles, um, especially if Trent Williams, uh, you know, the uh, all-league left tackle, who's holding out right now for the Redskins, um, if he doesn't come, if he manages to force a trade. Like, the Redskins, that'll be rough. Um, but Daniel Jones... You know, uh, then, but Daniel Jones, I mean, Eli Manning's been washed for four years. You know, he can't make deep throws anymore. Like, he looks so gun-shy that the pocket doesn't even have to be collapsing. He can just see the tackles taking their step back and pass protection, and he, it looks like he's panicked. Um, I, You know, I don't know what happened. And, you know, it might have been Tom Coughlin sticking out, you know, his son-in-law and a bunch of retreads out there on the offensive line the last few years he was there, but... I'm going to tell you right now, Dave Gettleman isn't going to fix that. The GM for the Giants. All he does is draft defensive tackles. You know? Um, Obviously, we know Dallas is on the rise. They got Cooper, Zeke's holding out, but we assume he'll be back. I mean, it depends. If you look at what Stephen Jones and Jerry Jones have came out and said, is that, uh, you know, we're going to offer market contracts, um, but we're not breaking the bank. You know, and Jerry Jones once allowed Emmett Smith to hold out until I think week four. Um, and that was a huge, because I think they were like one and two going into the fourth game or fifth game, you know, one, three going to the fifth game. Um, but I mean, Jones isn't going to mess around with it. Uh, I, that, that's why they went and signed Alfred Morris <laughs> again. <laughs> um, but I mean, Zeke, he's shown what he can do when he's on the field. Um, if they're smart though, they have to go out and do things. Like, uh, honestly, what New England did, they drafted Sonny Michelle in the first round. This year in the third round, they drafted a tailback out of Alabama um, to kind of take take a load off Sonny Michelle. You have to have two backs now. That gets, you, you can win without a dominant back, but if you want to establish a ground game, you have to have two running backs just to take the pressure off one. I mean, Todd Gurley is paying for it now. Uh, you know, his knee, who knows what we're going to get out of him next year. Um, and Zeke, I think, has led the league in carries the last two years. So, you know, cut down on, his amount of, on the amount of carries he's get, you're going to extend that shelf life he's got. But, I mean, he, I mean, uh, Gordon out in L.A. for the Chargers said, yeah, I'll hold out throughout the season. I'll do what Le'Veon did. Uh, you know, we'll see if Zeke is willing to do that as well to get his money. And then, obviously, we have Philly, um, the reigning division champions. Uh, it's the Wentz show up there now with Foles having left. What What's going on there? I mean, it. He needs to stay healthy. Um, you know, over the last two years, he's missed eight regular season games in the playoffs. Uh, and he signed, uh, you know, $128 million contract extension. So you're, you're right now, you cannot say that Carson Wentz isn't extremely talented. And you can see that even when he's playing in college. And everybody will say, you know, he, he played at North Dakota State. Yeah, but the guy won like three national championships in four years of starting and just set all kinds of records. Um, he, he's very talented, but he, this is the quarterback position. You know, this your the entire franchise hangs on you. You have to stay healthy. Um, you know, last year especially, like the the, the bone break in his in his back, like that's one of those things that's hard to avoid. I get it, but you know, injuries tend to compound and just grow on each other. So you know, if he can make it through this season, 
Uh, maybe Philly will learn how to pass block a little better so he stays upright. Um, you know, their team's talented enough to, to go on a run. I mean, Philly kind of had that post-Super Bowl hangover. Um, and, and, you know, they dealt with the losses that happened to Super Bowl winners. You know, if other teams come and, and sign your, your nickel back and give him huge deals, uh, you know, and, and then he doesn't pan out. Uh, Byron Mitchell, Seattle, just saying, happened to him. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the Eagles have the talent base there. They've drafted a lot smarter since they got Chip Kelly the hell out of there. Um, you know, they've got good depth. So, I mean, it, it, it the East is going to come down to Dallas and Philly with Washington and the Giants just Wave on. muddling along. Yeah. So who wins it? Uh, honestly, I think Philly wins it. Um, you know, they've, Looking at the schedule, I can see him putting on 11 wins. Dallas winning 10. Uh, Washington winning 6. And then the Giants winning 4. Cowboys get back to the playoffs? I mean, yeah, I think they're the wild card. Honestly, I think they're the wild card. Uh, they're, they're, just, they're just too talented. They've got a, you know, they were top 5 defense last year, which is funny saying about Dallas. Um, but if they have lengthy holdouts from Cooper, uh, you know, he's going to expect a market deal based on what Michael Thomas got down in New Orleans, you know, five years, $100 million. Uh, I don't know if Amari Cooper is quite that. I think Michael Thomas, you know, set an NFL record for most catches in his first three years. Um, and let's face it, Amari Cooper wasn't doing much before the trade to Dallas. You know, so, but I mean, if, if you have holdouts from, from Zeke and Cooper, I mean, you can see Dallas kind of maybe losing games they should be winning. Uh, I don't see Prescott holding out. I think he plays through the season, and then next offseason, that's when you can see things get nasty. Definitely a lot of uh, stars in that core to keep an eye on. Uh, moving over to Major League Baseball, we had the trade deadline pass this week, and a lot of big surprising moves this week. Um, let's start in San Francisco, where the Giants moved three-quarters of their bullpen, but the biggest move might be that they didn't trade Bumgarner. Yeah, it, that's... I Right now, before tonight's games, the Giants are uh, in se- second in the uh, NL West, okay? Second in the NL West. Uh, like 16 games back of the Dodgers. They're only two and a half out of, the, of one of the wild card spots. But the issue with San Francisco right now is they have the worst run differential um, out of any wildcard team in the NL within three and a half games. They're minus 51, you know. It, they had an amazing July. You know, they went from uh, stupid below 500. Now they're a game up. You know, they're 55 and 54 right now. But, I mean, they don't have the hitting to go deep. They, they just don't have it, especially in the National League, um, where, let's face it, you and I both know the Cubs, their offense is streaky, but geez, man, they've got seven guys in that lineup that can hit, that are going to hit 20 homers plus. Um, you know, Washington's really kind of turned it on last month and a half, you know, and then you've got Philly, who maybe not going to catch Atlanta, but they've seemed to kind of gotten that, that good ball rolling. And then you've got, you know, St. Louis, who's quietly winning, the NL Central. But, I mean, I, I just don't understand it. You clear payroll. Um, they, they didn't get... They, they got a few, like, uh, uh, highly, you know, highly touted prospects in, in their trades, but they mostly are just filling out their farm system. San Francisco's farm system has just been junk uh, probably the last five to eight years. And that, I mean, and because they gutted it to bring in, 
you know, swing deadline deals during their, we win the world series every, you know, odd number of years. So, um, but I mean, they're, they're trying to restock and I get that, but Bumgarner should have been, you know, he's only making $12 million a year, which according to baseball economics isn't really that much. Right. Um, his ERAs went up the last few years. His strikeouts have dropped, but you know he's still under four uh, ERA. You know he's six and seven right now. He eats innings, and and honestly, I think maybe a change of scenery would be good for him. But uh, you know it would depend on the ballpark. Like him going to Minnesota, I think would be a kiss of death. Him going to the Yankees would be a kiss of death because they're both very much hitters' parks, uh, and he's not going to be protected at uh, you know. Whatever the the Giants Park is called now, I know it was Pac Bell. It was something. Um, I what, still thought of Candlestick. Yeah, well, I mean that's a whole other stadium. <laughs> um, but I mean it's it's big. It doesn't favor hitters. It favors pitchers. Him going to a hitter friendly park would, I don't think he would do well there. Turning a little closer to our hearts, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and San Diego pulled off a three way trade just before the deadline. Uh, Cincinnati sends Puig to the Indians. San Diego sends Reyes and three prospects to Cleveland. All Cleveland gives up is Trevor Bauer to Cincinnati. And the Reds also send Taylor Trammell to San Diego. Uh, who won this trade, Mac? Uh, for me, the Indians fan, I mean, I really think it was Cleveland. You know, you pull in two hitters that are have 49 homers between the two of them and put, plug them into one lineup. That is amazing. Uh, you know, Jose Ramirez is finally starting to get you know, hit the ball. Kipnis is doing what Kipnis has done the last three years where he shows up for about two weeks and then disappears for a month. Um, you know, but that's to be expected when you have a like $14 million second baseman that can't hit anymore. Nobody wants him. You can't move him. Um, but having those two hitters, especially one in the outfield and Reyes, I, he, he's not a good defensive outfielder. Um, I'm not saying he's made a Ramirez bad. So you can kind of tolerate those kind of defensive lapses. But he's probably going to play a lot of DH, where Santana plays mostly first base. And, of course, uh, the Indians are up 7-1 on the Angels today, and Puig actually has two RBIs today. See, and, and Jake, the thing is, Progressive Park is going to be great for Reyes and Puig both. Um, you know, it's not deep in the corners. You know, it's, I think it's only 400 in center. You know, uh, Puig, when he gets hot, he hits the all fields, and he's just ridiculously talented. It's just he's kind of a head case. Uh, case in point being, he gets into a brawl in Pittsburgh, and he's not even officially on the team anymore. Yeah, know? it was traded just moments yeah. earlier. Um, you know, for Reyes, I really like that pickup. Uh, you know, Santana's coming to the end of the line. Um, you know, as well as I do, he has one year where he's hitting like 260. He has 30 homers. He drives in almost 100 runs. And then the next three years, he's batting like 240, 18, 19 homers, maybe 60, 65 RBIs. Um, but he's making $15, $16 million a year. Um, you can't have that from first base. First base is one of those premium power positions. Uh, so, I mean, honestly, if the Indians are smart, Santana's contract you know, comes to its end, slide Reyes over. It's first base. And we've got him locked up until 2024? 2024. He's, and that's when he'll be... Uh, eligible free agency you know so i mean the thing is if if lindor leaves having guys uh you know like reyes uh maldonado uh perez you know these or excuse me mercado not maldonado mercado you know these younger players there to kind of i mean it's not really gonna take this thing out uh you know frankie lindor is, is all league talent 
but it won't be like we saw when we had, you know, our stars leave the first time, you know, where we went to 10 years of just straight trash and then Tito came, you know, and kind of helped us get out of there. Now the biggest issue for the Indians is going to be is Salazar going to be able to hold up and so far, no. Yeah, I think he was uh, just put back on the 10-day IL, yeah, for, for a growing pool. Yeah, and we um, just got him back for the first time in two years. Yeah, you know, so, and then Carrasco, you can never count on him. Um, so they're really, really going to have to scrape. Kluber's out. Yeah, but Kluber should be coming back soon. Uh, but, I mean, what are you going to get? Are you going to get the Kluber that pitched the first three quarters of last season, or are we going to get the Kluber we've had since? Yeah. Um. And, you know, are they going to be able to get good production out of, like, Puko and a couple of those younger pitchers to kind of just cover the back end? You know, that's going to be the biggest issue. Um, now, Taylor Trammell is the prize for San Diego. Uh, he's one of, the, like, I think he's a top 10 prospect in the league, not for the team, but for the league. So, you know, San Diego has been kind of clawing back their way back from obscurity into contention. Um but they know they're still a few years off. But I think, uh, you know, pulling that pulling him was good. And then Bauer, I don't know what Cincy was thinking. Trevor Bauer's got all the talent in the world. But he also made it abundantly clear, I'm not signing a long-term, long-term contract in Cleveland. I doubt he signs a long-term contract in Cincinnati. Because uh, you're going from a winning team who you just played in a World Series a few years ago to a team that... To the Reds. Yeah. And it's one year... People can talk to about Cleveland, but it's not Cincinnati. That's just northern Kentucky, and there might only be six teeth in the entire city. I don't know why <laughs> you want to go there. Um, but, yeah, not taking that one back. Don't like Cincinnati. Um, but, I mean, it's 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 like Cincinnati's taking a swing. They're 15-57 and 57 right now, six and a half out of the wild card, and they're not even sniffing anything in the central. So, I mean, it, it it's kind of honestly, it's what the Mets did bringing in Strowman. <laughs> Hey, we're only five and a half back. We get a good pitcher. That's all we need. No, dude. No, you're you're literally wasting Pete Alonso's you know first couple years. Um, you know you still got Curtis Granderson out there on the field. Like, come on, dude. Like, I don't understand what their GM's doing except throwing fits apparently in the clubhouse. Finally, Houston and Arizona pulled off a surprise trade right at the deadline. In fact, I think it was reported about ten minutes after the deadline passed. The Astros add. Zach Greinke, uh, the form poet, is probably hands down the best starting rotation in baseball. And Vegas is up their odds to 2-1 to one as the odds-on favorite to win the World Series. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. Tom Glavin came out t- today and said that the Astros' rotation right now is better than any rotation he was a part of in Atlanta. If Tom Glavin is saying that, like, that's nuts. Um you know, but Houston has done smart with their drafting. They won a World Series in what twenty seventeen, I believe, um, and, and they've just been one of those top teams uh, since honestly since they moved to AL. They've kind of <laughs> that's when they came back. But um, you know they they've got a very smart front office and they stockpile picks. They draft well, so whatever top picks they give up to get talent like Zach Greinke, who even though he's in his mid thirties is still pitching like he did ten years ago. Um, and he's doing it, you know, against the Dodgers and, the, you know, uh, a lot of those. I mean, there's not a lot of mashing teams, uh, but, you know, the NL West has some talent there. A lot of young hitters, you know. So, I mean, he's, he does that day in, day out. Um, 
and he's shown that he's worth every bit of that contract he signed in Arizona. Um, but I just, it, it, it's not going to be fair. It's really not going to be fair. I mean, Houston in that first series, you know, five game series, he stacked those three up for three games. You know, that's that's almost an automatic go. Just go to the to the you know, uh, the LCS. I just, it, it's just going to be brutal for any team that gets in front of them because they hit well. Their defense is is good, you know, um, and then you've got the their pitching. Yeah, the pitching is just lights out right yeah. now. And the thing is, they're very efficient. Like Verlander, you know, remember his last few years in Detroit, it was he's washed. Uh, you know, Astros swing that trade, and he's done nothing but you know just go back to doing Justin Verlander things again. So, um, I, I just I, I'm as an Indians fan, I'm, I'm not looking forward to having to you know, go to Minute Maid or whatever whatever it's called now, because um, I think they're switching their names with their name too, um, or they already did, and uh, I just that oh, they hit so well at home, they know how to pitch that field. Their starters, it's just going to be. That team's going to be rough going in front of. One of those prospects was uh, Seth Beer, who's a top-rated prospect. But uh, fans in Fayetteville know him. He was one of the early favorite players here for the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Uh, came up in the Astros organization and was involved in that trade for Granke. Uh, it was a big week for the Woodpeckers. Not only did Seth Beer move to Arizona, but Brian Abreu, who started the season here in Fayetteville, he actually became the first woodpecker to be called up to the majors. He pitched a, a perfect inning in the eighth on Wednesday night against Cleveland. Um, it was a 10-4 loss for the Astros, but he did get Lindor, Mercado, and Santana to ground out on 17 pitches. Um, which is no, yeah. no, no, uh, no easy trial uh, to start. Um, not only that, Jake Adams, the Carolina League's home run leader, uh, and Jonathan Arauz got called up to Double A Corpus Christi. Uh, as did Forrest Whitley, a star prospect with the Astros who was on a rehab assignment. We've taken in a couple of games. What are you liking with the Woodpeckers? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, you and I talked about that. Any single A. Uh, a lot of these guys are still learning how to hit, um, you know, and it shows. Like, the, you know, I've been to two games. Uh, the one game before uh, we, you know, the kids and I left for a rain, they were up 4-1 to one in, like, the third inning. And then the game we watched, uh, you know, we saw, I think, what, they scored, what, two runs, and then uh, Myrtle Beach came back and put four up or whatever in the eighth. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's hit and miss. They're young players starting their professional careers. Um, but again, you know, these are some of the top guys in minor league baseball. Houston drafts well. They they know how to scout. They know how to to find players, and they do really well in Latin America. Like that that's where you have to make your money now. Um, and it, there's a reason Houston has kind of went from being one of the worst run teams in major league baseball to being one of the most successful now. And you know, watching the watching the Woodpeckers, you're going to get to see some of the the best young kids, and then you'll be able to watch them, you know, get called up to the majors two months after they, you know, uh, started their season, you know. So, I mean, it's it, it's good baseball. And let's face it, the, the league is fun, um, you know, it, it, and you have a good team to watch. That, that makes it that much better, yeah. you know. 
that talent was on display a lot this week. They actually nearly pulled off a perfect week. Uh, they won five straight against the Mud- Carolina Mudcats and the Wilmington Blue Rocks before Wilmington ended that streak on Thursday, 3-2. Um, standings-wise, the Woodpeckers are currently in the second place in their division. Uh, they hold a two-game lead over Myrtle Beach. They're behind Down East, but because Down East has already clinched the playoff spot, Fayetteville currently would make the playoffs. Um, however, Myrtle Beach is beating up on Fayetteville tonight. It's 10-1 at the end of seven. Um, but yeah, assuming... If you're going to lose a playoff spot to somebody, you want to be losing a playoff spot to a team with the acronym DUDES. Like, come on, man. Down East Wood Ducks, man. Um, you know what the sad thing is? They're changing the name next season. Really to what? They don't know yet. They're going to do the same thing we did. Uh, the Woodpeckers start a six-game homestand tonight. Uh, they got the Myrtle Beach Pelicans and the Wilmington Blue Rocks coming to town. Uh, it's a big chance for them to put some games between them and Myrtle Beach going into what is probably the hardest back end of the season yeah, I mean, in the league. you got to think it's a, it's a split season, so you have your first and second half champ going to the playoffs. Um, you, you know that this isn't going to be we get a break. You know, because they have, I think, four days between the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. There is no break. You're literally winning your second half and going right into playoffs. So, I mean, it, you know, make that ground and catch him and try and put him behind you. You know, uh, they have the pitching to do it. Whether they have the hitting, like I said, you know, with, with Fayetteville, it seems to be like hit or miss. Some days you're losing 10-1 and other days you're, you're hanging 12 on it. You know, it's just, that's how baseball is, but especially at the, you know, the A level. Um, but I mean, I hope they make it. I mean, that would be, I mean, you got to think first, first year in Fayetteville. I mean, granted they played in Bowie's Creek for two years, uh, but that would be really some cool. playoff baseball yeah. here to Fayetteville. Um, they actually have 10 games left against the down Eastwood Ducks, who are the Texas Rangers affiliate and the best team in the Carolina league. So it would really help them to put up a couple of wins against Myrtle beach, get some padding going on there and really just have a, hard drive into the playoffs. Yeah. Um, as the playoff picture stands right now, Fayetteville would open up with two games against Downton East uh, here at home. Uh, they do two home against the lower record and three away. So games three and if necessary, four and five would be in Kinston where Down East plays. Speaking of playoff baseball, the Fayetteville Swamp Dogs wrap up their regular season this week with a game at home tonight against the Wilmington Sharks. Last I saw, they were up 2-0 in the fourth. Uh, they had left a lot of batters on base, but they did clinch a playoff spot earlier this week. Um, they will travel to Moorhead City on Sunday for a single elimination playoff game. Uh, they do first round single elimination, first second round single elimination, and then the championship is a best of three series. Um, I've taken in about seven Swamp Dogs games this year. They're you, a lot of fun to watch. How do you think they're going to do come playoff time? Moorhead is a solid team. Um, I would love to see them go uh, beyond that. I'm not sure Moorhead can be caught, unfortunately. Um, Moorhead's just, they, they play a little bit more lights out. Okay. Um, but the Swamp Dogs did have a good week. Uh, they went five and one, 
and they're currently riding a four-game win streak, five if they win tonight, um, which is what you want with momentum going into the yeah, playoffs. Momentum. Yeah, momentum's everything. Um, that That's what's going to get them over the Moorhead City bump is just the momentum that they're riding. That team can light up the ball. I watched back-to-back home runs tonight. Um, I'd love to see them bring it home and show that there is more than one baseball team here in Fayetteville. All the hype is about the Woodpeckers, but the Swamp Dogs have a good team out there too. Um, And then finally tonight, we got the Fayetteville Roller Derby. Uh, We're recording on Friday night. Saturday is a mashup of Fire and Ice. It's a co-ed derby bout. Uh, Mike, you can make it out to that one this weekend? I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I got to see how everything lines up with kids' stuff. Uh, but it'd be nice because I remember watching roller derby on TV when I was a kid. Okay. Uh, and I loved it. Uh, don't ask me the rules. Don't ask me what the point was. I just really dug people beating the piss out of each other on roller skates. Yeah. Um, the Fayetteville roller derby team is actually pretty uh, pretty good. Uh, they, they're they ranked 140th internationally out of 350 teams in the Women's Flat Track Derby Association. Uh they're eight and two this year. Nice. What's what's really fun is the bout tomorrow. You're going to be able to buy influence on the game, um, where maybe the jam goes in the opposite direction on the track. Send players to the penalty box. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be co-ed. So it's not just the Fayetteville Roller Derby women's team who usually is who we would be talking about. Okay. Um, We'll definitely try to recap that bout in episode two, and hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll be able to get some of the players on for an interview. Yeah, I mean we we gotta we gotta get them on. Uh, one, I really dig the the monikers they they have. You know, they just give themselves great names. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I honestly I remember probably my third year here uh, at Fort Bragg. I went back home. And saw a, it was uh, independent wrestling and roller derby like together. <laughs> uh, so they like set up the ring inside of the track, and then you watch the okay. wrestling. The wrestling ended, and then they went into the roller derby, and it was like ten bucks. And it was like a oh god, I can't even remember. I think it was in Shaker Heights. Okay, um, but it, it was amazing. I just got drunk and. You know, acted a fool. <laughs> I've definitely been to a few bouts in the past, and they're a lot of fun to watch. And probably one of the most underrated events going on in Fayetteville when it comes to sports. Not a lot of people know about the roller derby, um, but the entertainment value you can't beat. Well, I mean, a lot of people see it as a kitschy thing. You're either into it or you're not. You know, it's like pro wrestling. Um, you know, and that's honestly that's probably how a lot of people see it. It's pro wrestling on roller skates. Um, but I mean, it, the thing is it's entertainment, you know, these ladies work hard. It's, it's not nothing scripted, you know, the way it is in pro wrestling. Um, but I mean, there is a certain novelty to watching, you know, women of all shapes and sizes, again, on roller skates going as fast as they humanly possibly can, uh, running into each other and trying to blow each other up. Um, you know, that could give certain people pause, not me. Uh, you know, I will watch that all day. I would, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I can see why, you know, some people would be like, oh, I don't know, but like, dude, it's fun. It's entertaining. Uh, you know, and on top of that, it's, 
not like baseball where you have to intently watch almost everything to make sure you're getting the full, you know, grasp of the game. This is something where you could, you know, as long as you're doing it responsibly, you know, drinking and then, you know, maybe getting a bit tipsy and then just enjoying yourself. I mean, it's, it's roller derby, man. Like that's what it's there for. It's fun. All right, that will bring this week's episode to a close. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Hometown Crowd, or you can email us at hometowncrowdpod at gmail.com. For Mac, I'm Tim. Thanks for cheering with the Hometown Crowd.